Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everybody, welcome back. Hope you've had a fantastic week and this week is National Sexual Health Week. So all week there's probably going to be stuff about sex all over your social media uh, in an educational way. Um, And the theme of this year is making sexual health inclusive, which I mean, having my background working with lots of young people from all different kinds of backgrounds, inclusivity is something that I'm really passionate about anyway, but I'm really excited to sort of dive into this a bit today. We have had a few episodes previously where we have talked about sex and desire and and pleasure. So all the way back, episode two, we were joined by Natalie her first time around and she is all about living in desire. And if you follow her on social media, you'll see her masturbation (laughs) month posts and that kind of thing. So she's very big on all of that. Um, And we also were joined by sexinista Tiffany. I can't remember what number episode. Um, where it's still one of my, well, actually I won't give it away because I guess today might have a similar answer for one of the questions and I don't want <laughs> to preempt that. But uh, if after listening to this, you want to sort of dive more into sex, pleasure, education, that kind of thing. So we have a couple of episodes and we'll also add some links, but I'm really excited to welcome this week's guest who, can I say friend? A friend of mine. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so Leanne, welcome to the podcast. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is this is the first podcast I've ever done, so I'm I'm excited. Um but my name's Leanne and um basically I am um I'm I'm currently in training myself. I'm I'm working towards either um going into sex and relationship therapy or sex education. At this stage I'm I'm not quite sure I might try and merge the two together. Um, but that is, yes, that's my kind of long-term goal is to make a decision and and go down one of those career paths or both. Maybe I will do both. I don't know. Yeah, why not? I think that's the fun thing nowadays that you can kind of create stuff and blend things together. Sure. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure you could be a, a sex therapist without being a sex educator in some ways. So I think the, the two kind of do go they do go hand in hand which which is is something I'm quite excited to explore yeah yeah and it's I mean I've I've said before about being on my own sort of journey into kind of counseling psychology uh, in in more depth and and I've got an area that that I'm particularly interested in but obviously for you sex and relationships is the area you're particularly interested in so how did you how did you (laughs) where did that come from where did that interest in the topic come from the 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 kind of when I started to realize that actually there could be a career out of this I've, I've kind of always had an interest in sex I'm not gonna lie from a young age um you know if if sex was on the telly I would I'd, I'd sneak a peek and um you know I'm not gonna pretend that I wasn't and I was raised in a very um open family so even though my my parents divorced when I was 11 both of them have always been quite open and I could ask any questions. We were, I was very lucky that they, they spoke to me from about the age of five um, about my body, about um, sex and relationships. And obviously they, they kept it age appropriate. But as the years went on, I could ask more and more questions. I, I wasn't raised in a family that um, 
there was any shame or discomfort around that sort of thing. So from a young age, I was quite comfortable with it. Um, but it, but really, I started to realise that I could I, I could do this as a career about um, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I'm trying to work out how old I am now. Um, and I worked, I, 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 I did Anne Summers parties. And um, what I loved the most, and I really just started doing it just for a little bit of extra money. But what I loved the most is the fact that the, the majority of parties I would go to were hosted by more middle-aged women. And what I really loved was how, and, and maybe it was after a drink or two, once you start getting the sex toys out and the skimpy outfits and you start talking to them about um, the pleasure that these things can bring and how they work, people started opening up about their own sex lives. And I got the impression that a lot of them may not talk about that sort of thing in any other situation, um, but they felt that they could in that in that situation. And sometimes people would ask me for advice. And at that point, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really equipped to give advice. But I loved that they felt that they could open up and they were relaxed and we had a laugh about it. Sometimes we would talk about quite raw subjects. But I, I started to realize that those that was the reason I was going to the parties more than the extra money I was making, you know, as a bit of a side hustle. And then gradually, my friends, I think because I was doing these Anne Summers parties, my friends started opening up about their own relationships and their own um, their own kind of sexual experiences. And, you know, some were really quite unhappy with their sex life. And the sad thing was, is a lot of them were very young at, at the time and they were already experiencing sex that they were unhappy with or uncomfortable with. Some were starting to come out. Um, and I felt so... I don't know. I, I just I, I loved that they, they they had someone that they could talk to. And I, I really appreciated that that person was me. So and eventually at some point, um, just we were talking, I was talking about it with my partner and he said, you should be being paid for this. And I thought, you know what? Why not? Yeah, that's kind of how it developed, I suppose. Yeah, awesome. And I, I yeah, I remember when I was younger getting to some summer's parties. Well, I, I would still be doing it now if I could make a living out of it. I absolutely loved doing them. I really did. And and yeah. Um, yeah, if I could still, if I could, if I could make enough to pay the bills, I probably would still yeah. be doing it. I don't know if they still have, I guess not at the moment, but right lockdown, but if they still have them. But I suppose, and, and the ones I, I went to as well, that obviously, like you said, there's, it's, it's all a little bit kind of fun and naughty, but a little bit <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but and some of the games that you play at those parties, they're, they're kind of designed for people to open up and let go of their inhibitions. And, you know, people would talk about their first experiences or the most random place that they've had sex or, you know, some things that they've done that they've enjoyed, but they wouldn't dare tell anybody else they've enjoyed, mm. but they could in that situation. Um, and I just love that. I think it should be something that's celebrated. Mm. To be honest, I think, yeah, yeah. I guess they, yeah, I guess the parts they kind of normalise talking about it, and and also I think key that pleasure is part of it. And I know I mentioned when Natalie came on, and and uh, I hope she doesn't mind me talking about what she talked about on the podcast. But <laughs> she was raised in a in a purity culture, and so it wasn't at all pleasure wasn't something that was talked about and I think and I don't know whether you'd agree with this that in in our education system it's not really about 
pleasure particularly female pleasure it's no. about don't get pregnant don't get an std which yeah. is important but yeah i mean i go back to um like what i was saying about my mum my parents and i was I, I was really lucky i i appreciate um that in that sense i was very privileged that i remember when i i actually told my mum when i lost my virginity and um, we spoke about protection and that was very relaxed and open. And, and, you know, I had a, it was a good experience for me. The whole, the whole thing was a good experience for me because there was no shame attached to it. I didn't lose it really young. Like some people did because I had the information. Um, but one thing she said to me was um, when I was going away with my very first boyfriend, she said to me, have fun, be safe. She put the emphasis on have fun but be safe. And I think that, that mm. that's kind of stuck with me, really. That that's a really important because she mm. she didn't want me to deny myself the pleasure that comes with, with having sex. But by the same token, you know, just take responsibility. And I think that's a really strong message. Yeah, and just think about my mum. And my mum uh, <laughs> is quite religious. And um, I think luckily, I had a book that was all about kind of puberty and the changes in your body and, and sex. And that was sort of my sex education, I guess. And the first time my mum had a conversation with me about it, I think I was already having sex. And it was to say, don't think you can't get pregnant the first time, because I did. And I've got a half brother <laughs> um, who's older. And um, but luckily, I mean, I had um, my sort of best friend in school. Uh, we were, I guess, on a similar, I don't know developmental path or whatever <laughs> similar time scales but we went to the place which was the the family planning clinic and we called it the place and so actually mm-hmm. we were very good about the the kind of cautious protection side even without the kind of parental input but I think if I if my mum had known <laughs> even though she might have suspected it because I had a boyfriend that's going around I think if she'd actually known and I definitely don't think she would have had a conversation about it um you know, she had a, she was like, no boyfriends to your 18. And um, that didn't happen. But <laughs> yeah. And I think that is, that is quite standard, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think I, you know, I, I, my situation maybe is quite different from the majority of, and, you know, you can understand why parents are, are concerned, um, because there is a whole scenario that can can happen where it does go wrong. But the problem with that is, if we deny our kids the information they need to make informed decisions, then in some ways we are kind of encouraging them to not make good decisions and that's when things go wrong. Whereas if we've got all the information they need and in a positive way, then they can start making their own decisions about consent, about, you know, mm. who who they want to lose their virginity to. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I guess for parents, and I'm not a parent, um, but... I guess it's that that line between giving the information and then not wanting to feel or seem that they're encouraging certain behaviours. And I think that's true, yeah. not just when we're talking about sexual health, sexual education, but if we're talking about experimenting drugs and alcohol, maybe we should alcohol yeah. first rather than drugs, but still that, that kind of stuff. It's like giving, wanting to give the information so that their child, like you said, can make informed decisions for themselves and, and stay yeah. safe. But, not wanting to feel like they're encouraging it by giving the information. And I think that's it's it's hard for parents because not everybody is comfortable talking about sex and and body and bodies and nudity and um and th- there's not enough education for 
parents out there. And I think so at some point they know they're going to be faced with the early questions about how babies are made um, or where babies come from. But 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 there's not the information out there unless they really go looking for it. And I think it's slightly easier now with with sort of our generation, because obviously there are a lot of sex educators on social media. So if you're on Instagram, you can really easily find and find them. And, and a lot of them do talk about how you can talk to your young people, um, which I really love. But I think there should be more than that. And um, one of the things I love about the Danish um, education system, they've got one of the most progressive sex education systems worldwide. And they don't, um, I need to make sure I get my facts right here, I have written it down, but they um, they don't just expect their the, the young people to know about specific topics like um, biology, for example, and the reproductive biology, but they expect them to be able to understand and express themselves when it comes to things like gender norms sexual rights different laws in different countries I, I i did nick that off um a website that um that, that goes into quite a lot of detail about um the danish sex education system so i can give you the link mm-hmm. to that um i don't know if you can comments or something um but the other thing that they really do that I really love is it's not just about educating the young people. They also they have a program where they educate the parents as well. Mm. So they educate their parents how to carry on that conversation at home, how to um, talk to their young people in a sex positive way that doesn't promote shame. Talk to them about their bodies because y- your bodies do some weird things when you're going through puberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do weird things anyway but when you're going through puberty and a lot of kids are left very very confused um I spoke to one person who's at her school she's 19 years old and she told me that they had a brief lesson about periods in which the girls were told it was only the girls that had the boys and girls were split and the girls were told about periods and they were told that periods are never painful merely uncomfortable so that in itself is, you know, that's dangerous to tell a group of people that all their period mm. experiences are going to be the same. Um, but also that they should never um, take a day off school because of their periods. And I just thought that everybody's experience is so different. I, I've got one friend who who takes very strong medication because she's every month she's doubled over in pain. And I've no doubt that she had to take time off school or have a note that she couldn't do PE to be taught mm. that the it almost trivializes the discomfort and the pain that some some people do experience. And it also, sorry to interrupt you, but it also, I think, not just on a on the pain level, but the kind of the hormones and everything that's happening. And and I was just thinking of, of two things actually. That one that was a, a good example when I was at college, I had singing lessons for a while. And my singing teacher, female teacher, she was like, you "When you got your period." Yeah. You don't have to come if you don't want to, because it can affect it can affect your voice. I also have singing lessons, and my singing teacher has told yeah. me the same thing. Yeah, and my driving, I remember my driving instructor when I was going through lessons also told me that we were, we weren't going to book my test on a day that I was yeah. likely to be on my period because it would affect my um, mm. my cognitive yeah. skills or whatever. So it is. It, it can affect so many things. So many There's things. There's a book called Eat, Play, Sweat, and it's about sport. But there is a chapter in that that talks about periods and the impact that they have on athletic performance because they do have an impact. And I think that's really interesting because, yeah, I think I, you know, and I have friends who quite a few actually who had that experience of having to catch it early with painkillers, or it would be they'd be bed bound basically. 
Um, and I think that's the message, like you said, that it's just, oh, well, it's just this week and it's, it's fine. It's, and, and I'm lucky because that pretty much does explain my experience. Although um, I've got a coil now, so I don't really have periods, which is um, nice in itself, but still, I think now where there is more research to show that it does have a massive impact on how we function just generally. Yeah. And the worrying, I think, yeah, the worrying thing with that one was that she was only, she is only 19 now, so she's not long left school. Mm. So that's a recent, something that she has been told recently yeah. by the education system that she was, that she was in. So mm. Yeah, I got I got some. So I was so pleased at the amount the, the people that came forward and were were happy to talk about their experiences. Obviously, all anonymously, but you know, one person we were talking about um, inclusivity earlier, and one person came forward and said that he and he was only about my age. So that's can I still call myself early thirties? I'm not thirty five yet, so I'm going to call myself early thirties, same age as me, basically. And um, he said that there was literally no. He, he is gay and he knew he was gay from a young age. There was no education for him whatsoever and he didn't feel he could talk to anyone. Um, another friend of mine who um, is also gay, she was told that it was just a phase. If people carried on down that route, not necessarily her specifically, but if people carried on down that route, um, they would never get good jobs and their reputation would be damaged. And that, and, and this is our generation, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say she is similar age because that sounds like quite a an outdated opinion. But this is that's just it. And you know, if somebody in their sixties had said that to me, I would have thought, well, you know, that's a, that's a lot of decades ago. We know that things have changed. We know, but this is this is in very recent history. Mm. And yeah, it's it's really sad. Yeah, and I guess we're you know we're talking about the the UK context at the moment. But in other countries around the world, there are different attitudes uh, towards sex, sex education and homosexuality or uh, LGBTQ plus any kind of difference from the kind of heteronormative experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's why I think Denmark and and, I mean, I, I know other Scandinavian countries are kind of taking their lead a little bit. And I would like to see a system rolled out that is so similar to that because they they from a very young age they talk about relationships and families and um I watched a documentary not long ago um where a group of young British people went to a school in Denmark to experience what their sex education was like there and they they listened in on a school uh, on a class sorry of um kind of five to six year olds so pretty young and they were talking about how the teacher was talking to them about how some parents have a mummy and a daddy. Some parents have just a mummy. Oh, sorry, sorry. Some families have just a mummy. Some families have just a daddy. Some families have two daddies. Some families have two mummies. And and the teacher that was interviewed afterwards said they're from a young age, they're in a classroom with other children who all have different family situations. And my best friend, she has twin boys and she's in a lesbian relationship. And so her her children will go to school, and I'm sure she won't mind me telling her story, but her children will go to school. And at some point, a child is going to ask them why she ha- they have two mummies. So if the teachers and the parents are able to teach them at a young age that actually families, there's not 
there's not a one size fits all for family. But in the UK, um, the so the Learning Skills Act of 2000 requires that young people learn about the nature of marriage and its importance for family life. And, and, and that's that's concerning. The, the, the difference between the two, I think, is. Hmm. No- and I think because now, I guess, play devil's advocate, <laughs> that now that marriage that, you know, that there's gay marriage as well as a heterosexual marriage, but. Still, there'll be a lot of people that don't get married that have no interest in getting married. So it's a very yeah. narrow. Well, that's just I think it's yeah, it's a narrow thing. I mean, marriage works for some families and doesn't work for others, or it's just like you said, it's not something that is important to some families. And there's there's plenty of, of straight relationship families, if if that's how you'd phrase it, that um, that don't get married nowadays. And you know, by the same token, there's probably plenty of of gay couples that that have a family but they don't get married either Mm. so I think marriage is such a specific you know to to drum it into people that marriage is important for family life Mm. and and that again it comes back to the shame thing because there are plenty of single parent families that may have been married may have had massive hopes that their marriage would last forever and it didn't and now they're raising a child on their own or co-parenting whatever to, to have it drummed into kids that are, have come from divorced families that marriage is important to family mm. life that in itself surely is going to promote some kind of shame yeah I think um thinking back to I mean I could keep talking about marriage but I won't <laughs> um <laughs> well actually I'll make a point that yeah because I suppose it's about the the quality of the parenting and the connection and that relationship with their children it doesn't really matter the setup or who it is it's about the quality you could be you could be the you know the the kind of perfect model heterosexual couple married and whatever and not be present and not be uh, an involved parent um but I think with children coming back to to educating young children on the variety of families and I think our attitudes towards the things around us are shaped as we grow up and if you ever see kind of really young children who will meet people who are different to them or who have different experiences there's a really cute video of a four or five year old meeting a gay couple and he's like oh you're both husbands and he's like oh I've never seen that before he goes cool do you want to come and play and it's like not a big deal it's just like all right fine yeah because they haven't learned those attitudes so I think sometimes people yeah, who maybe have different attitudes can be resistant to that education possibly. But actually, if you can educate children at a young age that actually all of these different experiences are equally valid and normal, then yeah, 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 uh, yeah, exactly. And I think you know they they the Danish system they teach that from a young age. They encourage c- conversation. I think that's really important. They encourage questions, um, and that's that in itself. I would imagine would prevent bullying in the playground for differences. You know, if if one family's one child's family looks different to another child's family, if there's not the education there to, like you said, to teach them that, that all experiences and all all families are valid, um, then that could in itself cause kids to be persecuted for a family that looks different to the norm. If that yeah, I don't even know if there is a now, but you know, to the average two point four children yeah. household. Yeah, 
And I think, yeah, I think this is, um, you know, a really important uh, area of the inclusivity that's not included in in sex education. But I think another Mm -hmm. area is for individuals who have disabilities, who that, and, and again, that isn't, as far as I'm aware, covered in that one, they can still have sexual relationships if they choose to. And, and, you know, about keeping themselves safe, it's very much that kind of able-bodied perspective. And, and even with, uh, with more kind of learning or neurodevelopmental disorders as well. And I, so my background is teaching uh, young people on the autistic spectrum and sex education is a big area because sometimes they they just um there's a saying called the whispers on the bus so that they mm-hmm. some things that children can sort of just pick up sometimes from osmosis they'd hear just like the whispers and so they'd quite often have misconceptions possibly and about kind of making that education understandable to to children who have uh, uh different levels of understanding maybe of, of social things and, and yeah making it relevant and and I have not had to do um to teach sex education to a whole class but I have taught it on a sort of smaller group basis to young people on the autistic spectrum which is a whole mm-hmm. it was a whole different thing because periods that was it's a, a different focus it's very much about the sensory and yeah and I think it's really important that if we are going to develop um the sex education curriculum in in this country and you know and worldwide um i think it's really important that we know Mm. we recognize that there is not a one-size-fits-all you can't just lump a bunch of young people together and give them you know it's not a textbook thing it's not a everybody's experiences are so different and also what we have to remember is everybody's everybody goes into sex education with different feelings about it. And those feelings could have come from trauma in early life, could have come from religion. Um, so everybody's going into it with slightly different, you know, I, I went into it kind of looking forward to it, if I'm honest, <laughs> whereas some people might be absolutely terrified of sitting in a with a group of their their peers and their friends and hearing something that doesn't necessarily relate to them and it's the same with as you were saying with disability you know learning situations everybody is so different and how people retain information is so different and the language that we we use to ensure that what, what they're getting is something that can help them develop healthy relationships and and healthy experiences in the future it's a, it's a minefield and it and we're not going to get it right straight away i think there need there's a lot of learning that needs to be done mm-hmm. um, what i i love i mean my instagram the people i follow on instagram are mostly sex educators um and i i follow a number of um instagram influencers influencers i suppose you'd call them um that do promote sex positivity amongst disability and it, it's it's almost like we just assume that they're not having sex or they're not having they're not having fulfilling sex lives it's almost like that's how the education system is geared up at the moment it's like you said it's very much for the the standard body if that makes sense well and it's and I think also it's very much it's like procreation isn't it it's like yeah man woman you're married you love each other you're gonna have a baby but here's how to not have a baby (laughs) it doesn't consider you know the the plethora of, of experiences backgrounds like you said and I think religion is a 
is a big one for some people that shapes their their views towards sex. Um, but I think also there's also that assumption, which maybe for the majority of people is true that they will want to have a sexual relationship. But there are people who are asexual who don't have interest in that, oh, yeah. and it's it's also kind of saying to them, well, this is normal. Like if you don't want to do this, then there's some yeah, so absolutely, and. Like I said, there isn't a one size fits all. And I think this is it's really important because, I mean, I I joke when I was thinking about my own um, sex education at school, I, I joke that the I, I don't remember much, to be honest. Um, we certainly didn't have a great deal. And I was talking to my friends and and one thing mm-hmm. that seems to stick in our minds and I, I can't even tell you the, the lesson we, we were supposed to get from it. But we watched, we, we, we were made to watch a video of a naked family on the beach playing tennis. I can't tell you what, that was, what the lesson was there, but the video is just stuck in our head. <laughs> but we used to joke, or, or a joke that I've kind of used certainly in, in recent history, is that our sex education was, it always seemed to be the, the teacher that had to deliver it was the teacher that got the short straw in the, in the staff room at lunchtime. You know, it it wasn't somebody that was necessarily qualified. And mm. what I one of the things that I would like to see happen, and maybe this is something that I go down a route that I go down myself, it's certainly something I'm thinking about, is that actually I think there should be external companies going into schools and teaching sex education and, and teaching in much smaller groups for a start, so that there isn't that danger of everybody gets taught exactly the mm. same thing regardless of their own lifestyles experiences sexuality abilities you know and I guess having that discussion basis which you know is maybe something that that parents and teachers will go kind of <gasps> around but this is obviously very very different but I've just redone my mental health first aid training and actually a lot of that is scenarios and discussions around around it but if you think of trainings that you've done, ones that you've been really engaged with and got a lot out of, quite often they have that sort of um, structure. Absolutely. And that in itself is really important for sex education, because one of the things that I think is the most important thing about having a healthy sexual sexual relationship, whether that's a long-term partnership or a one-night stand, the most important thing, though, is is communication. Mm. Because we have to be able to talk about things or, or express things that we're not happy with. But by the same token, if we want it to continue, we need to discuss things that we are happy with. So we need to be able mm. to feel comfortable to tell our sexual partners that we're enjoying whatever they're doing and we'd like that more, please. And so we need to promote honest, open, comfortable communication from a young age. And I think that by mm. what you just said about almost having like discussion mm. workshops, I suppose, almost, that yeah. will, will help to grow their communication skills. If that... Yeah, absolutely. And I think th- things like consent and consent obviously is is such um, a, a big issue. If you just say to them, this is what consent is, like, okay, yeah, they might be listening and they might take it on. But if you set it up as a discussion, like, so what what is consent? What does consent mean? And then some of the scenarios, and I love the tea, the cup of tea analogy for I don't know if you're familiar with it yeah 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 okay but you could have a discussion like what about these scenarios okay so what if someone gave consent and then this happened what would that mean and get them to sort of think through it so they're really processing it and then it's much more real then it's not just someone saying this is what it means 
they can actually think, oh, uh, what would I do in that situation? How would I communicate it? Is it still consent? And and I think that's a much more engaging way of having that conversation. Yeah. And and I think we should go over the tea analogy in a moment, but just thinking of something when, um, oh, a few months ago when we did a wellbeing event and Jess, my friend Jess, who's been on, been on the show, there was a question we were talking about sex and, and pleasure and she was saying, um, and we're talking about young children, um, and she was saying she's teaching consent to her three-year-old because she's just had another another baby. And and she'll say, look, no, she doesn't want you to touch her. That's her body. It's up to her to consent. She's crying. That's her communicating. And so even with young children, it doesn't have to be around sex per se, but this idea of consent that our body is our own can be taught in that way. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, and it goes... It, it, it goes so far as as young children we often get reeled out to like family reunions or where every auntie and uncle wants to kiss you if you're not comfortable with that you know we should be taught that we don't just have to put up with random family members that we only see once mm. a year kissing us and and holding us or whatever actually when we are able to speak and make and make a decision for ourselves we should be able to say actually I don't want that. And and it sh- and at that point, if a child expresses, however way they choose to do that, if a child expresses that they don't want to be touched, they don't want to be kissed, then the adult in the situation should listen to that rather than just laughing about it and forcing them into that situation because it does start at a very, very mm. young age. And, you know, as far as communication and um, conversation is concerned, another thing that I think we should be teaching young people of school age is that, am I allowed Am I allowed to say slut shaming yeah. on here? I don't know if I'm allowed. I don't know what language I'm allowed to use. Um, but I, 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 kid, young young people, young teenagers, they're very quick to slut shame, um, and and by that I mean taking somebody else's experience and ridiculing them, mocking them, degrading them for it. And I think we should mm. be taught from a young age that that's it's not your right to do that. Mm. somebody if somebody has more sexual experiences than somebody else that doesn't make them a slut you know because I think this is why young people they might be quick to watch porn on the sly but they're also very quick to to call their mate that's had half a dozen sexual partners at a young age a slut Mm. that's there's a double standard there and I think that's the question yeah I think the flip side of that is also thinking it's really cool and using it as a kind of badge of like bravado. And I think there is a real gender issue really um, across those that it tends to be. And and again, this might vary for people's experiences, but if it's a a boy um, in a heterosexual scenario here, if it's a boy, then it's really cool. And, you know, he's really Mm. fab. (laughs) If it's a girl, like you said, she's a slut. And it seems to be that yeah that real, and I think that's still the case yeah and the same with uh, I'm sure with um you know like you just hit the nail on the head a straight boy that is regularly having sex with girls is I don't know do people say stud anymore maybe I don't know I don't know um a gay boy having sex is not going to get that same kind of... So there is a massive double standard. Yeah. I was just going to say, I wonder what the reaction would be if it was a, a, a gay guy who was... What the perception would be. And I guess maybe it depends on the community around them. I guess if they were 
within a completely straight class, then then it might be more the slut shaming. I don't know because it's that. I think yeah, I think it's just very polarizing, isn't it? It's like either it's really cool or it's you're a complete slut. It's not like cool. That's your choice. Exactly, exactly. And I think there's just there's so much judgment one way or the other. And I think so part of the conversation we have with young people in a sex education lesson should be about judgment and about it's not your right to decide that just because somebody has slept with x amount of people that they are a slut that shouldn't even be a thing as far as I'm concerned like you said it's a choice yeah and I think you really yeah hit the nail hit the nail on the head with the the judgment because there is so much judgment and the thing that um and this is one I don't want to be controversial um, and be respecting of, of people's beliefs but with religion I think it's very judgmental both ways if someone is choosing to have sex sometimes there's judgment from people who have different beliefs and if someone is not having sex because of their religious beliefs there can be a lot of judgment that way as well can't really. being a teenager is not an easy time in life because you have judgments flying at you all over the place and you've got to try and work your way through all of that yeah, and I think sometimes we've been saying it is about that choice and making informed choices. And I suppose having this this spectrum of, oh, maybe it's really cool if I have sex or maybe people will like me more mm. if I do. It's 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 kind of almost forcing them to make that decision. And maybe maybe they've consented to a situation, but really they're doing it because of something else. So they're wanting to fit in, they're wanting to be liked. So although they have consented really they didn't really want to be in that situation yeah it's not an informed decision and and Mm. and this is kind of what I would like uh, why I think sex education is so important and should be much broader than than what it is I think we need to be teaching people to or not that sounds we, we need to be encouraging people and giving them the skills to make decisions that are right for them for the right reasons um I I I remember a lot of situations with people that I've known in the past where it sadly was kind of quite clear that they were sleeping with person after person in the quest for love basically and it, they weren't getting the love that that they wanted but they were so desperate for it and they thought that that was what they had to do to get love and that probably stems back from some sort of trauma in their past I don't know I never I, I never asked the question but but that in itself is is something that needs to be addressed I think yeah I think it's yeah I was I was just thinking back to <laughs> I don't know how personal I want to get in the story um when I was at university and I, and I was depressed at the time although I didn't realize till after and I had such low self-worth and I was quite promiscuous and it was a kind of, oh, someone's interested in me. Maybe I have got some worth. And and it absolutely can be such an emotionally charged thing. And it can be part of numbing behavior of not wanting to deal with stuff. It can be trying to find love and affection, but not really knowing how to go after it. It can be such a complex thing informed by everything we've gone through. Yeah, I am. Um, I was going to take, I, I don't know if you have any more to say on sex, we can come back to it, but I was going to take a little detour into kind of communication and relationship. Oh, I have no <laughs> <laughs> Because 
before you do, just to follow up from what you were saying, um, you've, we've kind of come full circle because at the beginning I said that I didn't know whether I wanted to go into sex therapy or sex education or amalgamate the two. And what you've just said about your own experiences makes me feel like amalgamating the two is really important because that once you get to university age and, and you recognize that maybe you're using sex as, like you said, a, a numbing, what did you say, a numbing... Or like a numbing behavior. Yeah, numbing behavior. That's the word I wanted. Um, that's where therapy comes in. And, and um, you know, and I don't think, again, in, in sex education, I don't think enough emphasis is put on the um, benefits of masturbation. And I know that's, you know, people don't like hearing that word. People, people certainly don't want to say that word to young people. But actually, it has so many benefits. And I think if we could teach people that that is that's okay and good for you to to experience your body in that kind of way, and and it's and it's a stress relief, so it, it's a good way of of teaching young people how to understand what they want with their body, mm. but also it's it's good for their mental well being as well if they want if they want to do that. I'm not saying that it should be prescription. Yeah. But and again, I think that is something that there is a, a gender divide because I think the the sort of assumption is that teenage boys are going to do it. It's like a given mm-hmm. that it's going to happen, and girls probably not. And if they do, it's weird. Seems to be the sort of accepted opinion. But like you say, everyone could benefit if they wanted to from it. Yeah. And I think there is. I was reading an article the other day actually about vibrators. It was about just in a normal magazine. Um, about the rise in companies that are, that are offering uh, things like that and there has been a growth in women the sexual industry is massive yeah yeah and I, I love that because a quite a prominent feature in any sex shop are toys that are either geared towards penetration purposes or clitoral stimulation so they're very female friendly and very female positive and 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 gay positive as well and you know we we are society historically has been very much geared towards male pleasure whatever that in whatever field that is whereas the sex toy industry actually i think is turning the tables a little bit and i love going into a sex shop there's so much on offer for inclusive pleasure is that the right word (laughs) yeah yeah have you heard of uh, the website omg yes yes i have yeah do you want to explain what it is um so i've not actually i've not actually gone into it a great a great deal um but i pay for something similar so but it's it's as far as i understand it's a website that is very much geared towards female pleasure and promoting yeah and actually what OMGS does it's very interesting it's very it's very much about the education um and so it has lots of people who are sharing what works for them how they like to be touched and it has sort of videos and demos of people kind of teaching you and there's also I believe the app has uh the touch sensitivity so you can try out different things to see and it'll be like oh I am that's right that's not right yeah and it's oh because you know that the there are a whole range of different ways to touch and, and be touched. And I guess it's about educating yeah. to get to know what you like. So it gives you these people just saying, yeah. this is what works for me. This is what works for me. And it's very interesting. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll take a proper look. Um, but but um, there's this, you can, you can have kind of similar experiences with porn as well. And I am actually, 
I am I I I appreciate porn. I think porn has its place. I, I certainly don't think that people should be shamed for watching porn. I think that there is a lot of education that is needed around porn and in particular ethical porn. But I I do um there there is one porn site in particular, I cannot remember for the life of me what the name is, even is it though a women friendly one. It's very women friendly. Yeah. Is it Balesa? Pardon? Is it Balesa? No, it's that's uh, one I know of. That's... I, I will. I'll send it to you afterwards, and maybe find a way when when you, when you post okay. it. I just look <laughs> and it's it's annoying because it's like it's at the. I know it. It's just I've, my mind's gone blank. But it's it's obviously it's a, a subscription one. So that in itself okay. is you know is something that I think is quite important. I think we should be paying for our porn, um, and it is it's very women friendly. It's it's actually it's real life. It's it's real people or real couples, sorry. Obviously, porn stars are real people as well, but it's real, it's real couples, real experiences. And what I really like about it is it shows sex in its. It's very realistic. It, people are laughing and people are, are clearly having a good time. There's no false kind of moaning or it's it, it's very realistic. And everybody, every video you watch is very different because everybody's sex life is very different. And it's okay, you have categories. So if you have a particular preference, like with with anything like that, um, but it's very, yeah, very inclusive. And Hmm. and I guess um, take a segue into another thing I wanted to talk about. We'll come back to relationships generally in it later. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. Well, no, because I think that for a lot of young people, body image is, is a massive thing and and they'll see their own body if they if they look in a mirror and see it some young people will avoid doing that um and potentially they might watch porn or they might look to where there's nudity in media which is a very it's very homogenous there's sort of one look that seems to be shown so having sites i'm not saying yeah. that children should start watching prescription uh, subscription based porn but um so <laughs> But, you know, having that kind of real, real people and something I don't know if you've ever watched the show Naked Attraction. I love Naked Attraction. I've been right. So a, a couple of weeks ago. um, Yeah, must be a couple of weeks ago. I watched a video and it was uh, US uh, people reviewing British shows. And one of them was Naked Attraction. And I watched it before and I was like, oh, I'm going to rewatch it. And I've been binge watching it. But actually, I some people are like, what? But actually, I love it because it's educational. So there is the educational thing. But, and, you know, I think I'm fairly educated and fairly aware of different body types and stuff. I didn't realize how different vaginas looked. And so suddenly it's like, whoa. (laughs) I I had a conversation with a friend about naked attraction and she was very much against the premise of it. She didn't like the fact that it was basically encouraging people to judge people based on what their vaginas look like or what their... Um, you know what their legs look like or what their boobs look like or what their penis look like but actually I don't think we should deny the fact that physical attraction is is important in the early stages of a relationship and we're just human we do look at people and we know fairly quickly whether we find them physically attractive or not so I don't think we should we should deny that that that's not to say we shouldn't get to know a person in, in order to to and you know I've I've found myself attracted to people purely based on their personality and then the physical attraction has come later. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. So from that point of view, 
naked attraction is embracing the fact that we do look at people and make decisions on whether we're attracted to them. But like you said, it's it's so diverse in the bodies that so diverse in the bodies. And actually, I there's occasionally been someone who is is quite blunt about what they like, but mostly people are really really kind, yeah. really considerate about what they're saying. And you know, and you see that people are attracted to all kinds of different different bodies. And actually I found um and I've gone on my own journey with how I feel about my my body and my body image. But I feel like just in that time binge watching it, I've been like, oh well, I feel better about how I look because actually there's all this variety and you know body isn't just a set set of measurements. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And, you know, I actually was having a conversation this morning about Barbie and how Barbie is. Mm. Um, and I think Barbie is a very powerful brand as far as Barbie has worked hard to 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 create this diverse doll, if you like, and also teach young young girls that they can if they want to be an astronaut, they can be an astronaut because Barbie can be an astronaut. But they're also working on their their body shapes aren't they if I because hmm. at the moment she would have to be like six foot seven and her neck would snap and generated picture didn't they of if Barbie was a real person what she would look like and it was like yeah I mean that in itself is not realistic but I know that that they are working on more realistic body shapes for Barbie and I think that that's really important for young for young people because bodies aren't one size fits all let's let's be honest and I think you know and again I'm not suggesting that children should start watching Naked Attraction or anything like that but I think it does speak to the kind of you know what we see in the media and 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 I know there's been talk about how much things are airbrushed and because if you're as a teenager you're comparing yourself to your friends you're looking at stuff in media like is that normal is that what I'm supposed to look like and when you're seeing the same kind of image all the time which is this perfect polished thin probably white person Mm -hmm. and if that isn't you then you think what's wrong with me and yeah absolutely yeah I think it's about having that diversity and having some real images and I'm not and it doesn't have to be that they're nude (laughs) just like you know there was it who was it who did they um they were talking about airbrushing and then they had a massive billboard image of themselves that wasn't airbrushed and so obviously all the pores and everything were I want to say is it was it Alicia Dixon or Jamila Jamila someone who they had this picture and then they had it blown up massively and that's so brave for somebody that's in the public eye to actually admit that actually what you see in a magazine isn't necessarily what I look like and I think that's that's good, but it's important for young people. It really is yeah. to see that. And there's oh, magazines again. This is something we could talk about for ages because you have the ones that do the <laughs> ring of shame, like oh no, they're not wearing makeup or they've got a bit of cellulite yeah. or they've got this, and and it suddenly it's like oh they're really skinny. That's great. Or no, now they're too skinny. Or now they've got too fat, and, it, and it's so judgmental. Yeah, I, I I hate that sort of thing. There's a there's a trend um, on Instagram which I'm quite enjoying at the moment, and it's basically um, and quite a lot of celebrities are taking part in it. But there's it's it's two pictures of the same person just with different poses and different lighting. Um, and Nadia Sawala actually, um, she was the first one I saw. I don't think she started it, but she was the first one I saw. And and she's been quite open about her 
um, insecurities around her own body over the years. Um, and she she showed this picture of her in this pose in a bikini. And in one picture, she looked like she would look on a magazine. I thought I actually honestly thought, oh, she's lost weight. And then in the other picture, which was exactly taken on exactly the same day in exactly the same outfit, slightly different pose, slightly different lighting. And that was a really important thing was the lighting. And that showed up the cellulite, the normal skin kind of, I don't want to call them blemishes because they're not blemishes. It's just skin. Um, but it showed the normal and it was literally just a different pose and a different. So it can be, yeah. it can be manipulated. So and and, for, and even I and I try and check myself if ever I find myself making a snap judgment. I do. I, I It's like one of my things that I try and because we all do, you know, judgments are part of being human. We all have biases. We all have really deep ingrained opinions that we actually need to educate ourselves out of. So I do, whenever I'm looking at, at social media, or even if I'm just people watching, I do, if I find myself judging someone, I try and check that. Mm. And sometimes sometimes it's easier than others. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but I, did, I found myself, when I looked at this picture, the first picture, I found myself thinking, oh, she's lost weight, she looks really good. And then I thought, why was that my thought process? Mm-hmm. Because that, the second picture was exactly the same. And actually, she still looked good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's... Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge because we do have all these biases and we can be really judgmental and we don't like to admit it. And so when we have that thought, we're like, oh, no, 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 go away. But really, we should, like you said, check it and think, okay, that popped into my head. Why? Where did it come from? Yeah. And then, yeah, like you said, kind of educating yourself out of it and learning. And it, and it comes from somewhere. It comes through something from childhood or something someone has said it, it they kind of build up there's so much information especially with social media there's this constant information being chucked at us we almost shouldn't be like you said it, it shouldn't be like we shouldn't deny the fact that sometimes we have these judgments and we should actually go okay I've had this thought it wasn't a particularly nice one and but why did I have that thought because I know I'm not a bad person I know that Really, I don't judge people on the way they look, but actually I had a judgment, a snap judgment. Why did that happen? And, and but this is all part of sex education. It's all part of the same mm-hmm. umbrella, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think, you know, body image is, mm-hmm. is yeah, very much related. I think there are, um, and again, thinking of media, I think that's why it's really important to be mindful of what you're consuming and on social media to kind of create your feed. Like if you're following someone who who brings you down in some way because maybe they're they're putting something that's across as negative or they're just showing such a, a specific way of being that makes you feel bad about yourself even if it's not intentional yeah. you know thinking about who you follow and I've got a couple of people who um have you heard of body posi panda no she um she's all about body positivity and so she'll post wearing like a swimsuit or whatever because she wants to she loves her figure and and she has um a figure that we would maybe describe as plus size, mm-hmm. I guess, but probably like kind of average, but sort of that's how I guess in media terms it would be described. And then like Lizzo as well. Is yeah, I love Lizzo. For, you know, Lizzo's doing so much, I think, for body positive. Yeah. But then I think sometimes you get for people who are more voluptuous or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use to say it's sort of maybe bigger than the norm. And I, I put myself in that group. Sometimes you then get to 
oh well they're promoting an unhealthy image so you get that sort of judgment applied yeah and unfortunately the likes of Piers Morgan on um, Good Morning Britain hasn't really helped that situation because he's very outspoken about um, having plus size models for example on the cover of magazines and because he thinks it promotes um, unhealthy bodies but on the flip side of that one thing that I've kind of been I don't know if monitoring is the right word but really interesting recently is is Adele mm. and you know, all of a sudden Adele Adele has worked really hard to lose a lot of weight I think she's lost seven stone and all of a sudden I'm hearing people going oh look at Adele she looks incredible and and we've basically decided that because Adele is now I don't know I, I well I'm not going to guess what dress size she is but because she's lost seven stone all of a sudden she looks incredible I mean Adele's a pretty girl whether she's she's gorgeous whatever stone she is um but but the emphasis on the weight loss and that in itself isn't healthy because she has worked to lose the weight in a healthy way as far as I can tell she's she she got an expert on board to make sure that she was still getting the nutrition she needed that she was doing the right sort of exercise for herself and gradually building on that but there will be a lot of people that will see that on social media and see the the hype over Adele's weight loss and think that they need to lose weight really quickly and that is really unhealthy um Mm. so it works both ways it's really important that yeah we promote healthy bodies and healthy if people do decide they want to go down the route of losing weight they to do it in a healthy way that's not gonna harm their body yeah and I and I think one of the things that that makes body image and weight particularly really um complicated I guess is how much often not always but often our self-worth is tied to our appearance and quite often to our weight yeah. and you know if, if you're kind of and I and I guess that's the thing with the, the Adele thing it's like suddenly she's amazing and she looks stunning she looks stunning before she was amazing before she is amazing that it shouldn't mm-hmm. matter how much she weighs what the number on the scale is what she looks yeah. like because she is just yeah. an amazingly talented awesome individual mm-hmm. but when we tie self-worth so tightly to appearance then yeah and and I've I've been on cycles of kind of comfort eating linked to my depression and losing weight and when my self-worth was tied up in my body image which it was for a long time and maybe is still to an extent then when you're in that cycle suddenly put on weight you feel crap about yourself not just how you look but how you feel about yourself and everything that it kind of tells you about yourself is yeah and a lot a lot of people do say when they lose a lot of weight and it's very very noticeable that then the pressure is on because they've had so much praise the pressure is then on to stay that way or lose even more weight and you know there are there are healthy ways of doing it but by the same token that's not that must be a a really hard mindset to find yourself in that that you can't you can't celebrate the achievement that you you set yourself a goal and you achieve that goal but you celebrate that achievement in the knowledge that you can't go back you can't or you can't slip in some yeah. way and that's you know that can't be good for your mental well-being no well and I think also there's such a I feel like we're having like a little bit of not a rant but a little bit of rant now but I'm fine with it um <laughs> where uh you know the things that we comment on about people's bodies or their images it's like why is it okay to comment on someone's weight or to comment on what their hair is like or to comment on if they've got and I've had this sometimes quite often from children so I'll let them off uh if I've had a breakout <laughs> I had that once 
um actually it was quite sobering it was quite funny because she was like why have you got so many spots and it was like well I'm a bit stressed at the moment so that's kind of why mm. but for for like a six-year-old asking it's like okay they haven't really learned how to filter yet but like for an adult asking or yeah. commenting on on your appearance it's just such a weird thing to feel it's okay to sort of comment on and I think that's why I think that's why again it goes back to to it should be involved in sex education at school that it's we don't make fun of our classmates based on their physical appearance and that should be a discussion in itself and I think it should be an open discussion because once if you can engage young people to talk about why they may have in the past or still feel the need to comment on whether somebody is larger than they are or shorter than they are or spottier than they are especially as teenagers you know they're all over the place with with their skin whether what color hair they are if they have if they have red hair they're persecuted yeah these things should should be an open discussion so that people can start understanding why and I think if if conversations like that are more open the next time they feel the kind of compulsion to mention something they might be more likely to go back and think okay this is what we talked about in that discussion whereas when a teacher stands up and goes you shouldn't say this that and the other they're not they're not necessarily going to listen to that in the same way or they're not going to absorb that in the same way as they would if they had an open discussion and if one of their classmates says this is how I feel when I am told x y and z about my body Hmm. that's a much yeah well I think having that open discussion like you said it's very much they can relate to a lot more because it's encouraging that deeper thought and consideration and empathy of what it might feel like yeah and the thing is with social media we can make snap judgments and snap comments and we can even actually physically comment on celebrities and because you're behind a phone or an ipad or a computer you're completely anonymous and you can you can say things that you wouldn't ever say to somebody's face and i think that all stems from feeling like you have some sort of it's okay to like we were saying, it's okay to talk about people's bodies in that way. Um, and, and we forget that influencers and celebrities, whatever you want to call them, we forget that they are actually real people. But I wouldn't mind kind of, and, and I, I, am, I have no expert knowledge on this, I'm just kind of guessing, but I wouldn't mind guessing that the people that are the like, keyboard warriors, if you like, that, or key, not keyboard warriors, keyboard trolls, um, that are quite happy to comment on Adele's previous weight or Kim Kardashian's but I don't know they were probably the kids that were more likely to comment on their classmates body and I wonder whether you know because sometimes with with bullying or comments like that it can be from our own insecurity so we can't handle feeling it about ourselves so we project it outwards onto other people but I guess it all comes back to the idea of consent that about not just talking about other people's bodies and their choices but the touch or whatever around it that it's your body your space and that should be respected I guess and and with our society and particular media that and the types of shows we watch and stuff I guess it's not often so yeah absolutely it's a very wide broad spectrum isn't it it is yeah so we've talked we've talked about sex the kind of the physical 
we've talked about body image and then the other thing that I've been wanting to talk about that also is really related is about we mentioned communication but about relationships and the emotional side of relationships and and sex and do you, when you had sex ed at school did you ever talk about relationships in that way and the I don't think so I can't I certainly can't nothing that sticks in my brain um <laughs> which is is sad and and um and then, in fact all of the feedback I got nobody mentioned anything about relationships it was all very much like puberty and and um like sexually transmitted diseases or pregnancy or no no one actually said well we learn about like you said relationships and communication within relationships and this and and this for me is is where the therapy side comes in and why I've got I, I I want to go down the therapy route because you know there are a lot of people that enter physical relationships that things start to go wrong because they don't know how to communicate they haven't been taught what a positive relationship healthy relationship looks like um and abuse you know abusive relationships are not just Mm. somebody being beaten up necessarily you know abusive relationships can be manipulation can be emotional and the type of thing that I really believe should be discussed with young people is how to spot the red flags you don't want to be living with somebody that makes you feel rubbish about yourself but by the same token if you can't recognize that their behavior or their comments or whatever is what's making you feel rubbish about yourself you're going to end up in the same cycle time and time again um so I think therapy might not be needed if if people were taught at a young age what red flags look like in relationship yeah we had an episode with uh the psyched podcast where we talked about uh, emotional abuse which was really interesting and about the, mm. the the kind of different types but I think you know with this I guess it comes what the, what I was thinking was it comes back to what is the aim of the sex education school like what is the, the purpose of it and it feels like our system at the moment is it's preventative and safety so it's like it's by it's by it's basically a biology lesson isn't it yeah yeah, like try not to have it. If you do, this is how to keep safe. And by the way, how babies you're are made. Experience. This is yeah, this is yeah. how you deal with that. It's it's not and I guess what we're kind of saying is that really it should be about something along the lines of we want young people to be able to have fulfilling, you know, informed, uh, emotional you know, relationships, physical relationships and be able to make that decision and for them to really be able to engage with them and enjoy them and we want them to have the skills basically to to be able to do yeah. that yeah and I think it go, it's not just um like romantic relationships for want of a better word I think it also extends to friendships because if young people are taught how to communicate and they're taught about they're taught about diversity they are much more likely to be able to maintain friendships because they're not going to offend their friends accidentally or on purpose they're going to they're going to be able to relate to them they're going to be able to to see things from their point of view um they're going to be less likely to use racial or homophobic slurs in their friends thinking they're being funny but actually they're not so it goes beyond just how to have a you know a successful romantic and or sexual relationship 
it extends to everybody you you interact with I think I think we're we're a social creature aren't we so we have relationships with all kinds of people so romantic friends in a professional setting parental and I think it's one of these things that it's just not taught as standard it's not really taught like and the same with emotions as well generally like these are emotions this is what they feel like this is how to sort of do something with them if they're overwhelming this is how you communicate this is how you say what you want or you don't want whether that's like we said sexually or in in a friendship I think they're things we just assume that people know and and I've been involved in teaching them to young people on the autistic spectrum because there is that appreciation okay maybe they won't have picked it up because it's it's not as automatic but for other children we just tend to think well they'll just they'll just pick it up they'll just get it we all did yeah but and I think we shouldn't write we shouldn't write off young people's experiences either I think we I think a lot of the time young people struggle in with in their sex education classes because they can see that the teacher is either uncomfortable or is not really equipped with the information they need to answer their questions um a friend of mine she put her hand up in a they call it pshe don't they in a pshe lesson that was at that point particularly was talking about sex in some way or another and she asked how two women had sex and the teacher's answer was how do you think and she was like i literally i don't know I don't know. And this this friend of mine is gay. So she was she hadn't come out at that point, but she was asking for herself. The teacher wasn't even equipped with the language and the to answer her question. So she was just left completely confused. So, yeah, I think I can't remember what your point was. I've, I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent, I think. But uh, but when we're talking to, to young people across the spectrum, not dismiss people's experiences just because we think they don't fit into and by we I don't mean me I mean the, the collective we yeah society but I think also there's there's a thing and and I was on a podcast recently and it was really fun uh, I think it was her first guest that she didn't already know and she's a sophomore in the US so she's like 16 they think it has her own podcast it's really interesting and we we talked a bit about friendship and and this kind of stuff but one of the things I said, and I think this is true for not all adults, but a lot of adults, there seems to be this sort of a bit of amnesia about what being a teenager is like and how difficult it is. And and I think particularly, you know, with sex, it's maybe like the the judgment of, well, I'm teaching this, but you shouldn't be doing this at all. And so, um, but also I think with romantic relationships, like if you're in love as a teenager, like that can be really intense. And for adults to be like, oh, it's just a fling, it's just a phase, it really diminishes the very real experience that someone is going through. I think that might have been the point that I was going down, but then I went on a tangent. <laughs> because what what I was going to say is we we are too quick to write off young people's experiences. And like you said, we're too quick to say it won't last, it's just first love. Whether it lasts or not, it's completely irrelevant. The feelings are very real, very strong. Like you said, teenager, teenage amnesia is actually quite we we do um I think that's a really yeah. good way of putting it we we write off their experiences too quickly and and we make we make it obvious to them that we're doing that so how can we then expect them to come to us with an issue that they need help with about that relationship mm-hmm. if we're writing their their first love off as just a phase or something that won't last if 
that person is then experiencing red flags in that relationship, they can't go to the adult in their life and say, is this right? Is this normal? Should I be concerned about this? Because that person has always already written them off. And that's kind of why I think that sex education should be delivered by mm. an external organization. So not necessarily within the school, um, pe- people that have gone through the training, got the qualifications. And I know that there's at the moment, it's it's difficult because there's not really any hard and fast sex education qualifications, which I'm just not... Um, there's no overarching yeah like an umbrella body or something there's not yeah yeah which I really think there should be because it's it's a subject that can cause a a lot of harm if it's not delivered in the correct way or in an appropriate way but those people are also taught how to speak to young people in a way that is going to encourage those the young people to engage with them and be open about things that are worrying them I think those you were saying there teenage amnesia I like the, the sound of that but um no, I don't like the sound of it, but you know what yeah. I mean, the phrase. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's there's a statistics which, which I always find so shocking, which I mention with working with young people around mental health, and that is that 75% of mental illnesses are established by the age of 18. So you know, all this stuff that's going on as a teenager, all these things that are, that are stressful, that are overwhelming, that potentially trauma, depending on their experiences, and whether that's sex relationships but all other areas it comes out as an adult so it's so important I think to and this is why I'm really keen to work predominantly with young people because it's like you know for me now I'm going through my own mental health stuff and a lot of it stems from stuff in childhood and I think that's true of a lot of individuals and if you can try and fix that system maybe we wouldn't have so many adults coming through who are struggling with with stuff mentally I think that's right and then, and if you think about it it makes sense because how often do you hear somebody and I have probably said it myself so I'm not I'm not trying to act superior here but how often do we hear that you know a teenager is sulking because they're stroppy because that's what teenagers do actually oh <laughs> I'm a sulky stainer according to my mom because that's what we do we we sulk rather than have like an explosive kind of yeah yeah, so yeah I'm a sulky stainer but but writing but writing a young person off as being sulky when actually they could be they could be going through stuff in their own head and it comes out as sulky behavior um because I remember I mean I had a lot of problems with my mental health as a teenager and I remember a lot of my behavior was because I was dealing with something in my head that I felt I couldn't talk about Um, I had a lot of health anxiety predominantly and I felt so silly whenever I thought about maybe going to speak to somebody about the imaginary lump I thought I'd found or the symptoms that I developed after reading an article and it it got to the point where in the end I I did have a bit of an emotional outburst and I got the help that I, I started to get the help it was a long process but but the behavior that came with those feelings were probably just sulky, stroppy, teenager behaviour to the adults in my life initially. I mean, I'm lucky that, you know, when I did finally mm. open up about it, I was able to start the journey of getting some help. But we, my point is we are so quick to just assume that teenagers by, by definition are stroppy or sulky. Actually, is there something else going on with some of them? Not all of them, obviously, but... Could there be something else going on? Don't just write 
somebody's experiences off as a phase mm -hmm. because that doesn't encourage them to actually speak to you when they really need to mm. i think we've covered like a whole we've covered a <laughs> way lot more than, way more than i expected yeah. but the... this is what i love it just kind of goes off um and i think without I, I certainly haven't consciously been thinking about it we've kind of talked a lot about the kind of mental health and mental well-being space without intentionally setting out to do so and i think that shows yeah. how much it's linked to yeah. it just naturally come up as we're talking about I think you're absolutely right and I think that if sex education sex and relationship education in schools and extending in it, it also everything starts at home doesn't it all of our opinions all of our biases are all they all start at home if your experiences with being able to communicate about certain subjects at home and at school are positive there's no end to where the conversation can go. And that's really, really important because mental health, I mean, the one thing I, I kind of had in mind to talk about today, and I know that we're going quite a lot over time, but um, the one thing that kind of the parting shot, if you like, that I would, I, I, I wanted to make sure we got in here is that shame, whatever kind of shame that is, and obviously I look more at sexual shame and body shame, but any kind of shame, you you carry that with you sometimes for the rest of your life so if we teach young people from a very young age that they shouldn't be like they shouldn't be playing with their bodies they shouldn't be touching themselves they shouldn't um be talking about sex they shouldn't be asking questions or that they when they're on their periods they shouldn't discuss it because it's dirty and, and i hear that word a lot even now i hear the word dirty in association with bodies and sex a lot if people are carrying that shame with them, that's going to have a massive impact on their mental health. So I firmly believe that mental well-being is very, very strongly linked to the sex and relationship education we receive at a young age. Yeah, yeah. Shame. Shame is a big, <laughs> such a big thing, like you say. And I guess, yeah, you said it perfectly, having that open, being able to have those open conversations so that you're not. And I think you know, we all pick up baggage through our life. That's natural. That's what that's what happens. But you don't want to add to that. No. And, and how it's important that, that people are equipped with the skills or knowledge or information to deal with that baggage when it comes along. We can't expect not to pick up baggage, of course, you know, yeah. part of being human. And actually, in some ways, it's a good thing because it teaches us to survive in some ways. It's the survival thing linked to to having to face very difficult situations isn't there but by the same token if you are not equipped with the information or the skill set yeah. to deal with with that then life can be very very miserable and yeah and yeah there was one other thing I was going to say I think it was around maybe around communication and the uh, judgment because we've got um, a varied demographic and there may be people listening to this who are kind of on board with our kind of stance on this and there might be people who have different views because of maybe their religious background that kind of thing and I think there is a real skill that takes practice in being able to communicate with someone and to have fundamental disagreement on beliefs around stuff but to discuss it without passing on that judgment and that shame to be like well I personally don't agree with that but you know and I think that is something that is also mm. really difficult being able to disagree on fundamental beliefs in a respectful way is challenging yeah yeah it really is and it's something 
but it's something that can be taught and I think this is what we fail to to realize and we neglect to to we, we neglect the importance of it but it can be taught so yeah communication can be can be taught and I think and and I think that's that's what therapists do quite a lot and I'm sure you have similar experiences um you 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 teach you're quite often teaching people to communicate with each other or teaching people how to communicate with other people in their lives that perhaps are causing them difficulty or but why are we not teaching communication respectful communication at a young age Mm. because you know that surely that would solve uh, uh, not solve problems but it would prevent the amount of people that find themselves in adulthood not not having that skill. Mm. I guess it comes back to what we prioritise as important in our education system. And our education system is very literacy numeracy based. It's those yes. kind of skills. Mm. And there are other types of intelligences. There are other skills that are important. And I think this is a key one. And But I think that's... Um, I guess that's what, you know, we, we've talked about sex, but I guess what we've demonstrated for anyone who's sort of like, oh, I don't know about sex education. I don't know whether it should be taught. From this conversation, we've we've seen and shown that it's not just the physical act. There is so much associated with it. There's so much in terms of really valuable skills from having those conversations that have a massive impact in all areas of life. So it's, it's thinking about, yeah, what I guess what how we want to prepare our children for adulthood and do we want them to be able to communicate make informed decisions to be able to make their own choices to be able to stand up for what they want because all of that stuff yeah comes under sex education absolutely and I think that's it that's the nail on the head right there is it is it's so much more it's so much more yeah absolutely so We've been, I was, my clock's reset to two minutes because I had to restart mine. But so I have some set questions I ask everyone that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Okay. And I can't remember if I sent them to you or not, so they might be completely just. No, you didn't. So. Okay. So sorry, but never mind. It's uh, more fun. So (laughs) the first question is what always brings you joy in your life? What always brings me joy? Um, Getting a book getting whether it's a secondhand book or well most of the books I buy are secondhand but even just going into a bookshop and buying a book or buying a book online and then the book arriving I get as much joy from just getting a new book as I do from actually reading a book and that's why I've not made I've not I've not made the transition to um, a Kindle because I just don't I think the I hold so much value on getting a physical book that there's a saying which I think is true, that buying books and reading books are two different hobbies. <laughs> two yeah. different I, have, I have both. I, I, I am a compulsive bookworm. But yeah, I, I get I do get a little rush of, yeah, a little rush of something when I yeah. when I get a book. This is this is the one when I spoke to the sex and Easter. Um, at the, mm-hmm. And I said at the beginning, when I asked her what always brings her joy, do you want to guess what she said? A good orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you're the and first you know person what? to say I would, it. I would agree with that. I mean, I was toying up like, <laughs> I can't choose between the two. Would I choose an orgasm or would I choose to read, or to get a book? Um, no, I, th- I, I I would agree with that as well. <laughs> I'm very, very easy to please, actually. There are, I, I do experience joy quite a lot. And I've, like we were saying, I have had, my own struggles with mental health and I have had times where I've been 
you know, lower than I ever want to be again. But the one thing that I always cling on to is there are so many things that, that bring me joy. And like my dog, you have a dog, don't you? My dog, is what, dog. my dog brings me joy. She's old and smelly and blind and mostly deaf. And she's an acquired taste now because she's a little terrier and she's old and smelly. But she she brings me joy every single day. Even just just looking at her all curled up, all cute brings me joy. So I'm I'm very easy to please. But yeah, a good orgasm. <laughs> relief as well it's a stress yeah. yeah there you go uh no one else is just apart from uh from that just like out of the blue said it and I'm just waiting for someone to do it because I think that'd be hilarious just someone completely different topic and someone just go yeah. um so, <laughs> so my next question is what makes life meaningful for you um what makes uh well I'm a bit like you I um I'm, I'm always seeking out new education um, in whatever form, I love nothing more than watching a good documentary on on a subject that I'm interested in. I have recently embraced like further education as far as uh, adult education, if that makes sense. That's not right, is it? You know what I mean? Higher education. <laughs> education, thank you. But like I said, I'm I'm always reading. I'm always watching some sort of documentary. So learning and expanding my knowledge on certainly on subjects that I'm interested in, but even subjects that I just are just kind of thrown at me I think that is what what makes life meaningful and you know I like I love to travel I don't get to travel as much as I'd like to especially right now but in itself is an education mm. and a really important education and the going back to what we were talk, we've been talking about the relationships in my life I have some really positive relationships um, I have a really a, a small but really wonderful set of friends pretty good boyfriend he's all right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh yeah learning and and relationships I think awesome and so then my next question is about mental wellness so we um that's our kind of overarching topic on the podcast obviously we cover all kinds of stuff because everything is related to (laughs) mental well-being uh so two questions around this the first is what does mental wellness mean to you wow um for me personally because I I have an ongoing battle with anxiety in a variety of forms. For me, mental wellness is being able to manage that. Um, I I will never be in a situation where it will go away completely. I know I am one of life's worriers and it's so much more than just worrying, but that's what I've been labeled. Hmm. Um, But for me, it's, it's having the skills to manage that and recognizing a thought that when a thought comes into my head, it's not a fact necessarily. So I suppose that for me is what mental mm-hmm. wellness means. It's it's not trying to deny or quash the whatever the issue is, but but manage it in a um, appropriate way so that it doesn't escalate. Yeah, awesome. And then the follow up is how you look after your own mental well being. So how you kind of maintain that for yourself. I I mean it's taken a long long time. It's taken a long time. And I've I've been to counsellors. I've I've gone through hypnotherapy. Uh, I've I've been through medication. Um, I've self medicated. You know, I'm not going to pretend that I haven't tried that as well. But for me, um, when I recognise that I'm getting into a cycle of anxiety and I'm turning a thought into a thought is escalating, I now have things that like little go tos that help me bring my mind back to a 
healthier place so it might be something it might be picking up a book but if I can't concentrate on a book at that point it will be watching something on tv that doesn't Netflix is great for this because there's so much now that you can watch and you you can pick things that aren't overly thought-provoking so one of my go-tos um is Gilmore Girls I don't know if you've ever seen that on Netflix that's a very easy watch and it and it basically helps me focus on something else that isn't too taxing isn't too difficult you get quite easy to um, and that's things like that have actually been a lifesaver for me in the past um another thing what used to be i haven't done it for a while but what used to be my go-to was um david attenborough documentaries yeah that that would be me looking after my mental health that i knew if i watched one of those it would change my mindset in some way he's got a really chilled but warm voice hasn't he it's very like yeah and the whole manner of the shows, the whole manner of the documentaries, um, and plus you're learning something. So I, it was kind of, it was, yeah, it was something that I could focus on that would just bring me out a little bit of that, you know. And, and there have been times when I've stayed up all night watching mm. stuff like that because I couldn't sleep, I couldn't switch my mind off, and that was the only way. But it's a, it's a, I, I think that that's quite a healthy mm. way of managing self-medication isn't healthy um that that is a healthier way Mm. of of managing it yeah absolutely so my next question and this is the one that's often a challenge sorry uh can you describe your own mindset oh god um I mean there's a really I keep seeing this meme on um on social (laughs) media that I always kind of relate to and I'm not going to get it word for word but it says something like my mind is like a a browser there's 13 tabs open there's pop-ups coming everywhere and god knows where the music's coming from and that's kind of I relate to that every time I see it I think that is pretty much what my mindset is like and it's not you know a lot of that stuff is positive stuff or is is productive stuff but it's it's a jumble of information and I need to try and work out what is productive and what isn't and yeah, I think that's the only way, really, that I can describe my mind. Yeah, I was just looking at how many tabs I have open on my... Because <laughs> I like that. And I think sometimes you can have a lot open and it'd be fine, but then you have, like, a few too many and suddenly it's crashes. It all comes down. Yeah, and I think that's exactly that's exactly how I would describe my own mindset is I am productive up to a point and my thoughts and my my mentality if you like is productive to a point but then I will just take on a little bit too much or a little bit too much information mm. and that's when I almost need to reset and and it's about for me it's about recognizing when I need to reset and that that's what's taken the time so my next question is the sort of top tips one and I normally I normally because I'm gonna maybe if you're up to it or up for it try it a little bit differently for this one so I normally ask people for their top one to three tips that people can put in place in their life that are going to have a massive impact. But I wonder whether you'd be open to doing um, kind of three top tips, one for kind of sex education, one for people who are thinking about their own sex and relationships and what they can kind of do, um, and then maybe a general one. So if you're up for that, doing some kind of specific top tips. Okay, well, I mean, at the moment, I'm not exactly an expert. So this this is more on my personal experiences and opinion um at the moment mm-hmm. so I think I should add that little caveat um <laughs> so my my top tip for sex education 
Oh God, there's so many. I can't. I, what would be my top? That's such a hard question. What would be? I think <laughs> for parents and for teachers, anybody that is is in any way educating a young person and forming a young person's knowledge, the most important thing is to promote open conversation, give them a space where they feel they can ask questions because kids have lots of questions about lots of things and sex is no different. So yeah, for sex educators or parents, I think that is the most important. Set the scene for open, honest, comfortable communication. For parents in particular, I think we should be thinking right from when the, the children are you know babies and toddlers is how are we talking to our young people about their bodies and and you know I I hear parents do it all the time all the time when they say things like stop playing with your willy that's quite a common one isn't it stop playing with your willy and whilst there's a humor link to that in in some ways being told that you can't touch your own body is promoting shame so think about other ways because obviously we need to teach young people that they can't always be touching their genitals there are situations where they can't be but actually we want them to know that in the space of their own in their own company or with a sexual partner a consenting sexual partner it's absolutely okay to touch your own body it's your body so I think think about the language you're using and if you're not sure learn find a way to Teach yourself before passing on information to the young person in your life. Yeah, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does absolutely. And so, what about what was the other one uh, for individuals who are like, um, my sex education was rubbish. I've got, uh, I'm either struggling, you know, sexually or in relationships. Do you have any kind of any thoughts around around that? Yeah. Um. Again, it's such a such a broad thing. I think. We can't deny that young people are going to seek their education either online or through social media. So I would encourage young people to, if they can recognise somebody in their life that they can talk to, an adult, preferably because hopefully they are going to have a bit more life experience to pass on the relevant information. Um, But if they can't recognise that to, to seek out when they're when they're educating themselves as it were to to make sure that the the information that they're getting is from sex and relationship positive influences as opposed to porn or i don't i don't know do you know what i, do you know what I mean so so yeah to almost recognize there's so much information out there to recognize what information is is good information and what information actually is more harm than good um and as far as actually relationships are concerned, again, it's all about expressing how you feel at any given moment in a constructive and respectful way. And for everybody, if your partner says no, no means no. Even if you've started, even if you're nearly at the end, no always means no. Mm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, those would be my kind of top tips for if you find it, if you're searching for information online make make sure you are and it's not always easy to tell but where possible make sure that you are seeking positive information that is actually going to be useful and not harmful and 
yeah, communicate your your feelings, express yourself in a way that's uh, constructive, productive, and respectful. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And and I know you'd mentioned that there are some people that you follow that have uh, positive perspectives. And so in the show notes, we can maybe put some recommendations of some starting points for people. And I definitely think we're going to put a link to the tea analogy for consent because that's a great way of just yeah definitely and and for parents that are wondering because it is a minefield for parents that are wondering and and we we mock parents for sticking their kids in front of tv treating the tv like a babysitter actually with the right kind of um programs or whatever tv can be an educator in itself and there is a lot on youtube um and obviously you'll have to monitor because you can go down that sort of youtube rabbit warren but there is a lot on youtube that is is very sex positive very body positive, but geared towards young people or young people or or teenagers. One one person that I particularly enjoy watching, and, and again, as a, as a parent or an educator, you'd have to kind of monitor because some of her videos are a little bit more adult than than others. But Hannah Witten, I think, is is a really really good um, sex educator. She's she's young, she's relatable, and I think that's quite important for young people. She's got a couple of books, one that's called Doing It, which um, is really good. And one that I think is called The Hormone Diaries. And they're both geared toward young people. And one, one obviously doing it is more sex education and um, The Hormone Diaries is, is um, puberty and stuff. But I would definitely recommend if you're a parent looking for a starting point, she, she's got a vast catalogue on YouTube. Awesome. And do you have... Um just any general a general top tip for anyone and it could be about anything but just to have an awesome life <laughs> do you have just a general top tip you'd recommend yeah I would say um always be willing to listen and always be willing to or not be ashamed of changing your opinion or your mindset on something when you get new information or new education um I think so often we form an edu- uh, form an opinion based on something we've caught right back in our childhood. Family members feel the same way. And so we're kind of, we have it all around us. And then when new information starts coming in, we, we almost feel ashamed at saying, actually, I don't, I, I don't agree with that. I'm not comfortable with that. And whether that's, um, it could be, it literally could be about anything, but yeah, there is no shame in changing your, thoughts on something when you are given new information I think there's some thoughts and beliefs that that seem that we feel like we can't change more than others and the thing popped in my head did you have like a favorite song or a favorite band when you were younger like a favorite artist who was like the best yeah 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 who I did who was it if you don't mind um yeah no I don't mind but you might be quite surprised so my um I was into my 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 dad provided me with most of my music catalog when I was a kid and um from a very young age I was listening to more 60s music okay. so um yeah my whole childhood and into my teenage years my my favorite band was Judith Durham and the Seekers which were a 60s Australian band quite vocal and they've been a massive influence on my 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 much broader music yeah collection now but yeah they were my favorite and see, that's not a very good example because there may be a band that you still like. Yeah, they're awesome. I mean, I had my first albums were Spice Girls and Aqua and they were like awesome. And I still love them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're not great and that occasionally they don't like kind of creep into a playlist. But 
I wouldn't be like telling everyone that Aqua is the greatest band in the world. And like, so things like that, we sort of like, yeah, that's fine. You can change your opinion. You can change your belief about something. But for certain mm-hmm. things, we're like, no, that's it. It has to. But it's a belief is a belief. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, you know, would I call The Seekers my favourite band now? They would definitely be in my top five. But other stuff has come along. New information has come along that is kind mm-hmm. of... Yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think a lot of people are experiencing that now. This, I think this generation and the generation below us are having real shifts in their belief sets from their parents and their grandparents. And I think that that is, it's difficult. It's hard for some people because also they feel like they're going against their their family. And especially if religion is involved, that has got to be really difficult. And again, it's all down to teaching young people that there is no shame in it. And, you know, that just because something is my opinion as your mum or dad or auntie, whatever, doesn't mean it has to be your opinion forever. And that's that's hard. That's that's one of the hardest things, I'd imagine. Mm. Oh, this is a whole other thing I could I could talk about all day about, you know, beliefs, Uh, you know, the things that we hold to be true. They are our beliefs and to us we know them and and they're true but they're still personal to us and I think sometimes some individuals maybe pass on the shame because it's true it is absolutely true you have to agree with me so I think even that there might be people listening that go well yeah that all sounds nice but I know this is true but it's true for you it doesn't mean it's true for everyone else and I think that is a mindset shift that, that some people haven't haven't had so yeah awesome thank you so much and then my last question for everyone um and uh as you said you're still sort of at the beginning of your your training and I think there's a great field to get into and you obviously have so much passion for this area but um if people wanted to connect with you online are you open to people connecting with you and where can they find you yeah absolutely now hang on because I'm not very good at remembering all my handles (laughs) I need to get better at this. Um, so I am across um, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Instagram and Twitter I keep open. Facebook, generally, I keep for family and friends or, you know, people that I connect with that I would want to continue connecting with. So, but it's certainly Instagram, I am, hang on, <laughs> I am um, Lee, L-E-A underscore M1986. And on Twitter, I am um, Opry Lee, which is spelt, so at Opry Lee, which is spelt O-P-R-Y-L-E-I-G-H. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll put that and all kinds of stuff that we've mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Uh, Thank you for sticking with us for what is probably going to be like a two-hour episode, but it has been fab and I've really enjoyed talking to you about sex, Leanne, and other stuff as well. Um, every minute thank you so much for having me you're welcome and I hope you go on more podcasts um, and share what kind of knowledge (laughs) wasn't that a fab discussion I think we pretty much covered every topic that in some way is linked to relationships sex education uh, sex positivity I think we, we just uh, yeah no stone was left unturned 
so I want to thank Leanne for joining me and for sharing her passion for this subject with us. And thank you for tuning in and listening. And I wanted to provide a little update on um, sex education, I guess, as it is, as we've said, uh, Sex Education Awareness Week, or I don't know if it's an actually an awareness week, but you know what I mean. Um, and that is to say that for the UK, the statutory guidance has been updated. So from September 2020, so from now, uh, secondary schools are required to provide relationships and sex education and primary schools to provide relationship education. And there's a roadmap that has been created by the PSHE Association. And possibly there may be other resources, but uh, a roadmap which has been created to support schools to deliver this and to include the student voice, which is something that's really important, practical tools, all of that kind of stuff. So hopefully there is a move in a positive direction of uh, having this education that hopefully is covering some of those skills that we touched on in this episode. Uh, So that's an update if you're interested. Um, I'm afraid I don't have any updates for the US or anywhere else in the world, but um, I'd love to hear the state of sex education in your country. So yeah, feel free to tweet me uh, or on Facebook at Psyche Coaching, P-S-Y-K-H-E Coaching, all one word, uh, and let me know what is going on where you are. As a reminder, it would be amazing if you would subscribe to the show if you haven't already, so new episodes will just appear in your podcast listening platform of choice. And rate and review, we're still stuck on 18 reviews, so it would be great if you haven't given us a review, and if you're a regular listener and you love the show, as I really hope you do, then uh, to rate and review to help other people to discover the show. And of course, please share this episode. You can tag me, tag Leanne in it. What was your favourite bit? Was there anything you didn't agree with? We're always open for a discussion around stuff as uh, as we were doing in this. So yeah, I'll be back on Monday with a, another episode. We got some great guests lined up for next week. And I really hope you have a good week. Take care of yourself and I will speak to you Monday. Bye. 